That is a universal truth that when people feel like they are making progress or making traction towards a worthwhile destination, oh my gosh, it fills their spirit, it fills their attitude, it gives them energy, it gives them motivation. But here's what I want all of us to reflect on and understand. In the absence of a clear destination, progress is impossible. Well, hey there, if we have not yet met, my name is Alex Shedd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. You know, I've been working with individuals and teams for a long time, and our business has been serving business leaders around the country for just over three years now. And one of the things that we've come to recognize is that effective teams can always clearly answer three questions. Why do we exist? What do we stand for? And where are we going? Now, without a shadow of a doubt, there's differences in what they call the answers to those questions. But what matters most is not the semantics of how you label your answers. What matters is that you and your team can answer those questions clearly, specifically, and consistently. Why do we exist? We say at Path for Growth that your answer to that question should be found in your aspirational mission. So as an example, at Path for Growth, we said at the beginning of every podcast episode, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. Now, recognize that that's not an in-depth tactical description of what we do. Why? Well, because the team knows what we do, right? What they need to constantly be reminded of and what we constantly want to be rallied around as a team, but then also as a broader community within the Path for Growth membership of why are we doing this? And that purpose really informs all of the decisions we make thereafter. This connects to a secular principle that was presented by Peter Drucker when he said the most effective executives make decisions at the highest possible conceptual level. And so what he was articulating there was that the most effective executives, the most effective leaders, and even the most effective managers don't make that many decisions. But why do they not make that many decisions? Because the decisions that they do make are at the highest conceptual plane, and those answers to those questions matriculate into the way everyone else in the organization makes decisions. So you got to start with your aspirational mission, and that's found in your answer to the question, why do we exist? The second question we said was, what do we stand for? Now, at Path for Growth, we say that the answer to this question is found in your immovable core values. At Path for Growth, we have five core values. It's point to Jesus, alignment, freedom and responsibility, treat people like friends, and strength is for service. And so once again, we are pre-deciding, and this connects to really the biblical idea that really justifies the creation of mission and core values. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart above all else, for out of it flows everything you do. Now, obviously, when Solomon wrote that proverb, I don't think he was referring to the mission and values of an organization, but I think that the spirit of the principle that's presented in Proverbs absolutely translates into an organizational environment. 
Why is that the case? Well, guard your heart. When the proverb says heart, it's not just referring to your emotions, right? In the Western world, we think of heart as the center of our emotions. But in the original Hebrew, it went much further than that, and it went much deeper than that. The pronunciation of that word heart or your heart in Hebrew is labehu. And thank you to our Orthodox Jewish friends who have helped me try to be able to pronounce that well, but it's labehu. And what that actually means is the core or center of who you are. It's the accumulation of your intellect, your emotions, your will. It's your soul, right? And so what this proverb is saying is guard the core of who you are above all else for out of it flows everything you do. And so we've got to be on guard of why do we exist being your mission and what do we stand for being your core values? Your core values are your non-negotiables. Your core values are the things that set you apart. Your core values are the things that you as a leader and your team are deeply passionate about and more committed to than 99% of your industry. What are the things that you are willing to stand for? Because I think back to that line of, if you stand for nothing, you will fall for everything. And unfortunately, we can see the marketplace littered with companies that never clarified and concretized core values that they would stand for. And therefore, given the option, they chose profit over people, or they abandoned their purpose, or they sacrificed ethics and principles that they once stood for because they didn't reinforce, strengthen, and guard their heart. They didn't watch out for the soul of the organization. And so it's so crucial that we get on paper, but more than get it on paper, get it into the culture of our organization. Why do we exist in our mission and what do we stand for? And that brings us to the third question, where are we going? The answer to the question, where are we going, is found in your organization's vision. Now, there are a variety of ways to come at this topic of vision, and in this podcast series, we're going to be unfolding and unpacking and looking into the method that we prescribe here at Path for Growth and the method that we use here at Path for Growth. But what I just want to talk about here conceptually today is the value and importance of vision, and then three types of vision that really represent a hierarchy, because there's a low-level way of thinking about this. There's a mid-level and common way of thinking about this. And then there's an incredibly powerful opportunity for thinking about this that we as leaders, I would argue, uh, have the opportunity to unlock. But more than that, the responsibility to apply ourselves to because of how many people you can serve in the process. But first, let's just hit home on the value and power of vision. It was quite a while back now that I was working within a team and the team was so filled with high caliber, high character, really competent, delightful individuals. Truly, if you looked at the lineup of who made up this small team of people, it was like, oh my gosh, these are just such wonderful people. They've done incredible things in their career. Their family life is just really, really remarkable. And it was just really, you had the ingredients and the makeup of what should be a really powerful, really strong, really robust team. 
there was one problem. And that problem was that while the team had a leader, one of the things that that leader wasn't very good at was clarifying and defining a compelling vision. And so in many ways, you have this collection of really outstanding individuals that knew why they were doing the work. They knew what the business stand for that they were operating in and the boundaries that they could work within and that they could make decisions. So the mission and values of the organization were clear, but everyone was walking around with that same question, where are we going? And there wasn't an answer. Because the leader didn't create the time, didn't create the space, didn't create the conversations necessary to clarify vision. And what I learned with regard to that team is that in the absence of a vision that is up and out, people can't help but start to look down and in. And that's exactly what happened. Because they didn't know where they were going, because they didn't know how their role fit into the organization, because they didn't understand how the activities that they were doing day to day connected to a bigger picture, because they hadn't had clarified for them, here's how what you're doing right now relates to what the other people are on the team are doing right now. And here's how we all move forward together in a unified way. Because none of that was clarified and unified around a common answer to where are we going, you know what happened? Paranoia, backbiting, infighting, gossip, and toxicity. It was so wild because you had this, uh, what seemed like a really, really healthy group of people that just flat out started to devolve and the culture started to degrade. Why did that occur? Because there was an absence of vision. You are an aim-seeking creature. Your team is filled with aim-seeking creatures. Consciously or subconsciously, we are all asking the question, where are we going? Where am I going? And in the absence of a compelling vision that points people's eyes up and out, they will start to look downward and in. Because I know this to be true, People love to make progress. That is a universal truth that when people feel like they are making progress or making traction towards a worthwhile destination, oh my gosh, it fills their spirit, it fills their attitude, it gives them energy, it gives them motivation. But here's what I want all of us to reflect on and understand. In the absence of a clear destination, progress is impossible. I'm going to say it again, in the absence of a clear destination, progress is impossible. Because think about this idea. There's actually a book written on it, right? The book is called Traction, right? And we want to have traction, meaning we want to make progress. We want to move forward. But if we don't clarify what the destination we're trying to get to is, then everyone has their own definition of what forward means, and no one is unified on what we're actually trying to accomplish. Conversely, it's so powerful healthy, life-giving, and good whenever vision enters into the picture. And that's what happened within this situation. A new leader was hired to lead the team. 
And one of the first things that that leader did, I think they were brilliant and I think they were very wise. And I think they witnessed that, man, we got a killer team here. We got some killer individuals, but the reason they're not performing is because we lack some vision. We need some vision. And so uh, he he did a couple of really, really smart things. First of all, he didn't say, okay, I'm going to go off in an isolated corner and get this together on my own. No, he said, the team members are often the expert on what's going on within the team and within the business. And so it was probably for about 60 days, he dedicated himself to sitting down one-on-one, sitting down in groups, sitting down in full team meetings, and just asking a billion questions. Questions about where the team has been, questions about where the team is, questions about where the team could go, questions about where individuals want to go, questions about strengths that are on the team and weaknesses that are on the team. And you know what happened in the process of him asking all of those questions? He started to become someone that we on the team trusted. Why did we trust him? Because he wasn't coming in as this expert that was going to tell us where we needed to go, but he was rather trusting us as competent adults who had been in there that had had a lot of experience that he needed to try and understand. And, and I even personally experienced this. I was like, okay, I trust this guy. Why? Because I think he gets it. I think he understands where we've been. I think he understands kind of where things are at right now because he's asked so many questions about it. And I, and I know that as he's thinking about the future of our organization, he's not just asking me what should it be, but he is consulting me on what I think would be good, what I think would be bad, what I think is going to be necessary. And I also know he's doing that with every other person on the team. And so that's what he did for about 60 days. And then it was wild. In about 90 days, you know what he did? He sat down the whole team and he said, hey, I I want you to know, I've had so many good conversations with all of you. And I've just so valued your perspectives and I've, I've so valued your insight. And I so value the way that you've really carried the load of this team for so long in the absence of vision. And he said, but I really wanted to apply uh, myself to helping us create a clear vision so that we all understand where we are going. And so he said, I've really taken time to talk to each of you and understand your perspective. And what I've done now is I've distilled those perspectives into what I think is a plan that will push us, but it will result in people getting served that we can actually accomplish if we unify and all focus on it. And then he proceeded to roll out a slide deck that looked like what we were going to focus on over the course of the next year within our team. And it was wild. I have never left a one-hour meeting where I saw things go from distressed, stressed, and depressed to invigorated, excited, and engaged so fast. That is the value and power of vision. When people get clear on where are we going, and then they also have visibility into the fact that we can agree on where we're at right now. It's amazing. They start to plug in the dots and they start to see like, oh my gosh, there's things that I can do. There's things that we can do. There's ways we can contribute. There is a clear line from here to there. And that's really connected to the way we teach leadership within Path for Growth. Leadership is taking people from here to there. 
And I think really that whole story illustrates something that I've seen to ring as true. Uh, it's Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Now, if you actually go into the context of that proverb, it, it, it's really important to understand that what that proverb is referring to is prophecy and the law, right? But I do not think it is incorrect or of disservice to other principles that are located in the Bible to say that man, yes, that is conceptually true prophecy and uh, and the law within the Israelite nation, but it's also important for us to understand that the principle of where there is no vision, people, teams, businesses perish, they die, that I believe is literally true. When people don't have something to set their eyes on, they wither and die because there's no definition of what progress actually is. And so, your responsibility, but also your opportunity as a leader is to lift people's eyes above the horizon, to unify people around what could be, to cast a vision of something that doesn't currently exist, and then to put into motion plans and resources for making that thing come true. And so hopefully you can start to see how, man, it's really crucial for me to play the role of vision caster as a leader. But it's within that that I want to draw your attention to what I really think of as three stages of vision or three types of vision. And one is what I would call poor. The the second is what I would call normal. And the third is where all of the opportunity, goodness, and, and riches lie. And so let's start with the first type of vision. That is survival-based vision. This is where many businesses start off. And quite frankly, this is where my business started off, right? Uh, Survival-based vision is how do we keep the lights on, to put it in a very simple question or phrase, right? It's basically how do we make it another day? How do we keep the doors open? How do we get the next sale? And it's really just focused on doing whatever needs to be done just to stay in business, just to survive. And ultimately, survival is not only just a good goal, it's a necessary goal, right? Because if we can't survive, then we can't do any of the other things. The problem is not that you start in survival mode. The the problem is, is that too many people stay in survival mode. This looks like you working in the business. This looks like you being buried by the day-to-day task of just keeping the thing where it is. And this looks like you really buying into the lie that the way to get off the hamster wheel is running faster on the hamster wheel. You and I both know if you want to get off the hamster wheel, you have to get off the freaking hamster wheel. And so while I know our brain and our impulses and our emotions may lure us into this line of thinking that says, well, we can only focus on what we're doing to stay open tomorrow, it will benefit you and it will benefit others to lift your eyes just a little bit beyond the next meal, just a little bit beyond the next day, just a little bit even beyond the next month, and to delay instant gratification for future future gratification. This is really related to the concept of maturity, right? What do immature people do? They trade the future for the present. 
they say, okay, I'm going to sacrifice growth, pleasure, progress in the future just so I can satisfy everything that's going on right now. And you may say, okay, well, I don't understand how survival mode is satisfying. But in reality, if you are someone that grew up in a hardworking family or you grew up just getting your hands dirty and being in the nuts and bolts of the business, well, then survival mode can feel very temporarily satisfying. Why? Because anytime you complete a manual task or you make the sale or you check the box or you do the thing, anytime you're doing these working in the business tasks, literally neurologically, you get a dopamine hit that your brain is telling you, well done. And your brain is giving you this motivational hormone that says, oh my gosh, that's a pleasure hormone. I want to keep doing this. And, and not only that, people applaud you. People say thank you because that work is often very tangible, very tactile, very visual. Conversely, working on the business, thinking ahead, the payoff to that at the very least comes three months from now and it doesn't come right now. And so it's very easy to see why we would sacrifice the future to satisfy the present, to engage in instant gratification. What do mature leaders do? They sacrifice the present so that they can satisfy the future. They don't just stay in survival mode, although that may be necessary, and they do the things they need to do in order to keep the business open, but they're really just buying themselves enough time to be able to create the structures, the systems, to be able to develop people so that they can start looking ahead and thinking broader and bigger about the future. Listen to me real quick. Survival mode is no way to live. You can start in survival mode, but you cannot stay in survival mode. And the goal is that you need to do what you have to do so you get to do what you want to do. And there's certain things that you have to do to stay in business right now, but you should be carving out, maybe it's an hour a week, maybe it's an hour a month, but you should be carving out some time to introduce the infrastructure necessary so that your business can expand and grow. But the path to working on the business does not look like you working in the business more. This is why so much of what we teach within the Path for Growth community is just giving people the muscles and the path and the clarity that they need to take action on what it looks like to work on the business and not in the business because it's not helpful or healthy to stay in survival mode. So the first type of vision is survival. The second type of vision is service. And I'll tell you, this is the one that I got locked into for quite a while in our business. And the reason why I got locked into it is because I actually thought it was good and healthy. And I also saw that it was wildly normal. And we can put a really nice, kind, good-looking facade on service-based vision. Because what is service-based vision? Well, I'm not thinking too much about the future because I just want to do a really good job of serving where we're at right now. I'm going to serve our team as it stands right now. I want to serve our customers as it stands right now. And so we're not thinking too far into the future. We're not being super deliberate about that. We don't really have a clear answer to where we're going because we're just managing and stewarding where we're at right now. And I think oftentimes the heart behind that is so good and it's rooted in contentment, but it's also, in my opinion, abdicating one of the responsibilities that you have as a leader. 
Because think about the way an organization is structured, right? You've got people on the front lines that are doing the work, and then you've got managers that are managing the work being done, and then you've got leaders that are theoretically charting the business as it moves forward into the future. But if you have leaders that are only focused on the past and the present, then no one is attending to the future. And here's the deal. The people on the front lines are doing the work on the front lines and counting on the leaders to be thinking ahead about two things, opportunities for the business and threats to the business. And your team, your organization, the structure of the company is counting on you to steward the asset that you've been given, being this organization, being this business, by carefully taking into account opportunities and threats. Are we asking you to predict the future? Absolutely not. Are we asking you to impose your will on the future? Absolutely not. But we are asking you to plan for, think about, and steward the future as it relates to your business. And it's not going against what we are encouraged to do biblically to think positively and proactively and hopefully about the future. It's an important paradigm that I had to wrestle with to get behind why this is so important and why I should engage with this in confidence. It's something that Eugene Peterson first opened my eyes to. He said that oftentimes the way that we read the Bible in English is not a very accurate reflection of what's written in the original Hebrew and Greek. And one of the reasons why that's the case is the tenses that were available to the writers of the original Bible. Because those who were writing in Hebrew and in Greek had access to the tenses that we use, which are the passive tense, right? This was done to me. And then they also had access to the active tense, which is I did this thing. I imposed my will. I engaged with. But then there was a third tense that the English language actually doesn't do a great job of catering to. And Eugene Peterson describes it as the middle voice. And the middle voice, the best way to describe it is something akin to I am participating in the process of this coming to be. And so this is really related to the topic of vision because so often we don't have any sense of agency or freedom or desire as it relates to the future. And that's the passive tense, right? It's like the world is happening to me. I don't get to play any role. As the marketplace goes, so goes my business and I have zero influence. That is really the role of a victim and it's not very helpful, but oftentimes it's what the person that has a service-based vision is actually doing. They're saying, I don't actually get any role in determining how the future is going to go. I'm just a spectator who happens to hold the title of CEO. But then the other side of things is another line of thinking that's presented a lot on podcasts and in books and the business and leadership and personal growth worlds today. And this is like, you get to impose your will on the world, on the economy, and on the marketplace. You decide the future. You are the captain of your fate. You are the master of your destiny. And you are going to solely, wholeheartedly chart the course in what is coming to be. And oh my gosh, although that is incredibly tempting, it's outrageously unhealthy. Why? Because it's wildly prideful. Because what's the opposite of pride? The opposite of pride is humility. What is humility? It's to have an accurate viewpoint of oneself. Here's what's accurate. 
You don't get to impose your will on the marketplace. You don't get to impose your will on the economy. You don't get to impose your will, certainly, on reality. There are things that are going to happen regardless of what your will is. And I believe that's because there's a will that is much greater than yours, and that is God's will. And so it's really helpful as we think about this topic of vision to say, no, I'm not a victim, but no, I'm also not this bombastic conqueror of the future. I am an active participant in the process of what is coming to be. And what a liberating idea that is. And what that should do if you're the type of person that can sit in that service-based vision is it should give you a little bit of encouragement to think proactively, to think positively, and to think on offense about the future. No, you're not a victim. And the world is not just going to wash over you unless you allow it to. But you also don't get to impose your will. You get to participate. And it's such a shame I see so often that, man, there's so many creative, bold, hopeful people that the thing that keeps them from clarifying vision for the future of their business and for the future of their life is fear. Sometimes it's fear of failure. Sometimes it's fear of rejection. Oftentimes, I think it's actually fear of success. But here's what I want you to know. Brene Brown says you can't have vision without vulnerability. And that's a really powerful idea because it rings true. And what I think Brene is trying to say in that statement is just the idea that, man, if you qualify the future that you desire, if you qualify what you want, if you qualify what winning looks like, well, the minute you qualify success, you're also simultaneously qualifying failure. And we can tempt ourselves into believing it would be way easier to not qualify anything at all. The only problem with that is that in my experience, when you don't qualify success and when you don't paint a picture of what winning looks like, the default feeling is that you feel like you're failing all the time. And I've thought a little bit about why that is, that in the absence of vision, you feel like you're failing. And I believe that one of the reasons why it is, is we were given brains and we were given capacity and we were given ability and creativity and imagination to be able to have vision. And so when we don't engage with that topic of vision well, we're not operating or stewarding who we were created to be. We're not stepping into the future. We're not subduing the earth around us. And we're not taking dominion over that which we were called to take dominion over. And therefore, we're operating out of alignment with what we were created to be. And therefore, it feels like we're losing. And so what we're going to guard against in the next stage is to not turn your vision or your aim into an idol because that's absolutely really possible as well. But I don't want us to abandon the idea of vision altogether. And that's what so often we use the service-based vision 
to cover us for is, man, I don't want to take the risk of describing a future that I want because then I'm also describing what failure would look like. And then I, I'm risking not being able to hit it. So I'm just going to sit where I am, where it's comfortable and convenient. And that is such a disservice to yourself. It's such a disservice to your team, to your customers. And more than that, it's such a disservice to the people that could potentially benefit from you moving courageously into the future. That brings us to the third type of vision, expansionary vision. This is vision that is bold. This is vision that is audacious. This is vision that is creative. This is vision that is imaginative. This is vision that is more rooted in the question, what could we do rather than what might we do or what should we do? And you've got to allow yourself to dream about the impact that your business could create, about the reach that you could have. And I'm not talking about dollar signs. That's not vision. If you just give people a number, don't be surprised when they leave for a bigger number, right? So, so we're not just talking about dollar signs. But we're also not just talking about the number of people or the number of locations or the size of what you're trying to build, although I don't even think those things are necessarily bad. They only become bad whenever they become your master. What I'm talking about here is a compelling vision of the future that you and the people that you work with feel deeply and profoundly called to. What I'm talking about here is you prayerfully opening your eyes to what is God doing and what does God want to do with this asset that he's blessed us with? And then saying, we're going to become professional about being about the business of what God is doing. Because here's the deal. Uh, we can create plans. We can create strategies. We can engage in tactics. But man, God has this capacity and ability to do more than we could ask, think, or imagine. And not only does he have the ability to do that, he has the desire to do that. God is for that, and his will is coming to pass. The question is not, will his will come to pass? The question is, are we going to be wise enough to participate with God? Are we going to engage in the fruitful work of bringing his kingdom to earth in our organization, in our interactions, and in our leadership and life? That's what expansionary vision looks like. And so hopefully, if you're listening to this today and you're in the spot of survival, you can say, okay, I need to start working on the business and creating structure so that I don't just have to only think about how do we stay open tomorrow for the remainder of time. And then maybe if you're in service, this is a little bit of a nudge to say, it's okay to take some risks. It's okay to be bold and it's okay to feel vulnerable thinking about the future because that's actually what you were designed and created to do. And in the process of that, uh, I hope that you start to dream. I hope that you start to recognize just by the fact that you live in America, one of the most prosperous countries on earth, and that you are someone that is a business owner, meaning, you, meaning you've been blessed with outrageous amounts of time and ability and freedom that so many people would kill for, and that you have all of these resources at your disposal that other periods in human history couldn't have even dreamt of, that they could just listen to any amount of content and read any amount of information 
information and access any amount of expertise at the click of a button. You have access to all of that. And with access to all of that, yes, you've been given a lot and therefore you are responsible for so much. So what would it look like to envision, to imagine, to dream, and then to create? And I know that that's a little bit of a visionary picture of what the expansionary stage looks like. As we continue throughout this series on vision, we're going to get more into tactically what it looks like to bring vision to life day to day in your team. But more than that, I just want you to know that, man, there's this possibility for you as a leader where you could be so inspirational to others because you are choosing to be on this adventure, not just for your business, but also your personal life. And that's the opportunity that is available to you. And I've seen 16-year-olds apply themselves to these principles, and I've seen 60-year-olds apply themselves to these principles. And I just think there's no time where it's too late to get started on thinking in an expansionary way about what's possible for the future, because I think it's at the core of what you were created to do. Hey, real quick, before we go, I want to let you know that so much of what we're talking about in this series on vision is brought to life practically in what we call the Path for Growth Fundamentals. We first develop the structure necessary to keep you where your vision takes you. And then after that, we walk you through a really proven process for documenting and then rolling out a qualitative and quantitative vision for your business that is expansionary. It's one of the most powerful things we've done in our business and we've seen how it can be implemented into other businesses in a way that creates energy and focus and unity. And so if you're someone that owns or operates a business that is at that stage where you need to start integrating these fundamentals and then ultimately creating a vision, we'd invite you to come check out the Path for Growth membership. We're offering a 14-day free trial to anyone that owns or runs a business. If you're interested in that 14-day free trial, you can click the link that's in the show notes or go to pathforgrowth.com to fill out an application. Y'all know this. We're rooting for you. We're praying for you. We want to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.